welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Monday the 23rd of February 2015, entitled Last Days Living, and the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. And in those days, or in those days, came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or literally, the kingdom of heaven is now present. The kingdom of heaven, in one sense, we could say a synonym would be, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. It's talking about Jesus is coming on the scene. John is announcing or talking about Jesus coming on the scene. Now watch verse 3. For this is he, referring to John the Baptist, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now look up at me for just a second. What the Bible is saying is this. John the Baptist, described by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he was described as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Do you know there was more to John than just his voice? But the Holy Spirit is using metonymy, singling out his voice to represent the entirety of his person and his ministry. Literally, what Isaiah is saying is this, this guy John is going to be an individual given to a single message. And that message is simply this, prepare ye the way of the Lord. In other words, get ready. King Jesus is about to show up the first time. By the way, I believe he's about to show up the second time. Would you agree with me? I don't think it's going to be long till our Lord comes back. And I get just a tad excited about that. That means this, the finish line, Brother Russ, is just ahead. So you know what we ought to do? We ought to run hard through the finish line because our Savior's going to come back and take us out of this world to our home in heaven. But we've got work to do till he comes to do that. But we ought to be running hard and serving hard. In other words, John is an individual who is going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. The voice, though, is how Isaiah describes him. Now, I want you to watch verse number 4. What else is said about this man who is described as the voice? Now, watch verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle. By the way, the word girdle means a, a sash or, if you will, a leather belt around his loins, or literally around his waist, and his meat, or his food, was locusts and wild honey. Now I want you to get a mental picture of this. Here comes John the Baptist, and he is dressed in camel hair. Now, I used to read that. Miss Shelley, for years I would picture, you know, a, a camel hair sport coat. Any of you ever seen one of those at a store, you know, made out of... You know, and it's, I mean, it's a nice jacket and it's quite expensive, you know, if, if you buy a real literal camel hair jacket. But it's a finely tailored garment. I would picture John wearing one of those. Can I tell you, that is not what he was wearing. He was wearing crude camel hide, stripped off of the camel's body, tanned on the backside. He's thrown it around his shoulders. He's taken a leather strap and tied it around his waist to keep the camel hide around him, and he's dressed in that way, but it doesn't stop there. Not only is he wearing camel hide, the Bible says he is eating locusts and wild honey. Now get a picture of that. Here comes this guy, strangely dressed, 
And in one hand, he's got a receptacle that has bugs in it. The other hand has a receptacle that has bees honey in it. He's popping like popcorn in his mouth, these locusts, washing it down with bees honey. Can I say this? At least in my state of North Carolina, if a guy showed up in Hickory, North Carolina, where I lived, with bugs in one hand, bees honey in the other, dressed the way he was dressed, they'd be calling the guys in the little white jackets from a mental ward to come get him. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, who is this weird individual? However, I want you to notice, when it comes to John the Baptist, the response is quite different. Look, if you would please, at verse number 6. In fact, back up to verse number 5. Then went out to him. Let me repeat that. Then went out to him. Do you know, friends, other than at his death... Other than, at, other than at John the Baptist's death, there is no record that John ever went into town. But town came out to him. Look at the verse again, verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. Now look up, let me explain something. John doesn't go to where the people are. The people go to where John is. That is interesting. The question is this. What is so appealing? What is so attractive? What is so compelling about John the Baptist that people go to where he is? He doesn't have to go search for a crowd. They go searching for him. Can I submit to you? The reason people went looking for John is because John was a different kind of individual. What I want to preach to you about tonight is this. Last days living. See, John came onto the scene to prepare people, his generation as it were, for the first arrival of Jesus Christ. I believe, Brother Steve, I am on this planet right now, 2015. I am not here accidentally. I am not here coincidentally. You are not here accidentally. You are not here for just some purposeless reason. We are here by God's design for this reason, to get as many people as we possibly can prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hey, folks, he's right behind me. It's not going to be long till he shows up. How are we living to get people ready for his second coming? Well, let's look at how John lived to get people ready for his first coming. That's the way we ought to be living to get people ready for his second coming. Well, how did John live? By the way, what attracted people to him? I want you to watch verse number four again. Look at this. Last day's living, number one, must be different living. Different living. I want you to see how different John's life was. By the way, this is why people were attracted to him. He was different. Different. Now, let, let me give you an illustration. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I'm going to use an, an American illustration. Uh, any of you know what Dodge, Dodge uh, Car Company is? Dodge, D-O-D-G-E? Any of you? Okay, do they have Dodges over here? Do they have them? They have what? A few, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Dodge guy, you know. I, I'm really not. That's why they only have a few of them over here. They're, in my opinion, they're not much of an automobile. But anyway, anyway, um, they made a number of years ago, and they don't make it anymore because it was a terrible automobile. They used to make a car called the K car, the Dodge K car. And Brother Russ nodding his head. That car was nothing to write home about, was it? I mean, really, it was not something that you were really would see it and it would just grab your attention. No, but Dodge does make a car. In fact, I assume they still make it. I know they made it for years. I mean, when you see it, Brother Russ, it gets your blood pumping. 
And it's called the Dodge Viper. Have you ever seen a Dodge Viper? Brother, Brother Larry knows what a Dodge Viper is. It is a sports car. It is about as impractical in one sense as it can possibly be because it's a two-seater. But man, it is a powerful machine, Brother Larry. And I've been around several of those Dodge Vipers. When you see one of these, man, it gets your attention. You know why it gets your attention? Because it's different. Do you know difference always attracts? Difference always attracts. I want you to see how John, in order to get his generation ready for the first coming of Jesus, lived a different life. Look at verse number 4. Now stay with me. This is vitally important. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. Do you understand the Bible is telling us John's dress was different than the norm of his day? Do you know in John's day, people did not wear camel hair. They wore long flowing robes. By the way, men had a robe. Women had a robe. There was a man's version. There was a women's version. But they wore long flowing robes. John is not wearing a long flowing robe. He's wearing camel hair. He is distinctly different than the norm of the day. You say, preacher, what is the point? What I'm trying to say is this, and I'm not going to camp out here, but I just want to say it. I think Christians ought to dress different than the world. Would you agree with me? We ought to dress modestly. I don't mean ridiculous, but we ought to dress modestly and different than the world. John's dress was different. I want you to notice not only was his dress different, number two, his diet was different. He was different in his diet, locusts and wild honey. Now, folks, look, you've got to admit, that is different. Would you agree? By the way, I have a doctor friend who serves on our ministry board, and his name is Dr. Larry Gattano. He is, a, he is a, a, an Italian doctor, a committed Christian, loves the Lord. And I said, Doc, I've got a question for you. How healthy is a diet of locusts and wild honey? He said, well, the wild honey is really quite good for you. I said, what about the locust? He said, not sure about that. He said, it would sure provide a lot of roughage to your diet. He said, I'm telling you it would. But he said, the point is this, the, the, the wild honey is very, very good. John is eating a different diet. So his dress is different. That attracts people. His diet is different. I'll go no further after the way we've eaten the last two days. I'm not going to say anything else about diet. But his diet was different. But the big difference had nothing to do with dress or diet. John was different in his demeanor. Now I want you to watch your Bible. Look at Matthew 3 verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one, would you say the next word out loud? The voice of one doing what? Crying in the wilderness. Now again, I'm not trying to impress you with anything. My dad used to say this, I know a little Greek and I know a little Hebrew. And he said, the little Greek runs a restaurant, the little Hebrew runs a clothing store. That's my knowledge of a, a little Greek and a little Hebrew. And that always made me laugh when he would say that. But he was trying in a humble way to make a point. Do you know the Greek word for crying? Matthew 3, 3, the voice of one crying. Do you know the Greek word is the word boao? Boao. You say, Brother Dave, what does that mean? You may want to cover your ears. All right, I'm going to take this off for right now and lay it right down here. But boao means this in Greek. To shout! Tumultuously! To shout! Tumultuously! What does that have to do with anything? Do you understand John the Baptist came on the scene? In his day, do you know how the instruction took place? The instruction took place in a synagogue. Do you know in the synagogues of those days, they didn't have a pulpit. They would have a stool up front where the teacher would sit. 
The teacher would take his copy of the scriptures, which was not in book form like we have. It was in scroll form. And the scroll would either unroll this way or it would unroll this way. And he would unroll his version of the scroll and he would sit there in the synagogue and he would basically read the scriptures and perhaps make a comment or two here or there. Basically, friends, and I'm not trying to be demeaning, but they would read the scripture in pretty much of a monotone, unemotional way, sort of uh, Al Gore type type voice. <laughs> Forgive me, that's a, any of you know who he is? Anyway, we won't go there. But anyway, they would read uh, the scriptures in that fashion, and it would basically have nothing to it, bore people to tears. Do you understand? Here comes John the Baptist. He's not reading, he's got his message memorized. And he's not sitting on a stool inside the synagogue. He's out in the wilderness. And he is not emotionless. He is filled with passion. And he is shouting tumultuously, Get ready! The king is about to show up. I mean, it's like this guy actually believes what he's saying. And he does. His demeanor is different. I believe this with all my heart. As Christians in this culture... We need to have such a different demeanor. The world looks at us and can pick out, there's something unique about that guy. There's something unique about that lady. What is it? By the way, have you ever been asked in a public setting, why are you so joyful? Anybody ever? Brother, I'm sure you've been asked that because you smile all the time. I mean... Yes, yes. See, somebody's picking up on the joy in your heart. Isn't that awesome? By the way, my wife and I have been out at restaurants. We always try to do this, whether it's just she and I, whether it's us and the children. We will hold hands, we'll bow our heads, we'll pray while we hold hands. Do you know people have walked past on many occasions and said, uh, Hey, uh, God question, are you folks Christians? And I'll always say, Well, yes, we are. Why do you ask? And they'll say this, Well, uh, we noticed you, you, you held hands and you prayed before you ate your food. One guy said this, We noticed that after you prayed and uh, got ready to eat your food, you didn't argue with each other. Boy, that's unusual. We just wondered if you might be Christians. Hey, that's good, isn't it? By the way, Brother Carl, a number of years ago, that 42-foot-long 40, trailer, um, we were changing the carpet in it, and you're putting some new carpet in it. And uh, I, had, uh, I, I had three days. I had three days to purchase the carpet, get somebody to put it in. And I'm not in Hickory. I'm, I'm all the way on the west coast of the United States in the state of Oregon. And so I found this guy who had put the carpet in. He said, but you've got to buy it quick because I'm on a time crunch. I said, okay, we'll do it. So my wife and I go to this carpet store in Portland, Oregon, and uh, she wanted light green carpet. It's called seafoam green. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Yes, yeah, seafoam green. I said, honey, look, the kids were young at that time. I said, honey, that's, that's going to get old. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be track you know, footprints all over that. I said, hey, why don't we get dark green? I, I love what's called hunter green. Hunter green. It's a deep, deep green, kind of a forest green. She said, no, we've had that before, and this time I want to kind of lighten the carpet up. I want seafoam green. So we go to this carpet store, and I said to the guy that was the owner, I said, we're looking for carpet in this price range per square foot. He said, yes, it's in the back. And I said, do you have any seafoam green? And, you know, it's kind of a pale green, mint green. Do you have anything like that? Yes. I said, do you have any hunter green? Yes. And I said, well, can we see both? And so he takes us to the back, shows us all of that. And my wife and I are making our case, me for the hunter green, her for the seafoam green. And I'm just going to be honest with the Carla. I mean, we got animated. I don't mean we argued, but we, you know, we got animated. I'm making my... Any of you ever get animated when you're, when you're talking to your spouse? Do, I mean, do you? 
Man, we'd get animated in the, in the trailer, you know. And, and, you know, the problem is the walls of that trailer are about two inches thick. You, you can't have a decent discussion without everybody outside hearing it, you know, because we, we'd get animated. So anyway, we're in this store, and I'm making my case. She's making her case. And the owner said this. He said, I'll be back in just a little bit. You guys, you, you guys talk it out, and I'll be right back. So he walked off. And the end of our discussion was this. My wife finally said, honey, I think, I think probably really you're right. The darker would look better. You know, that, that is a beautiful light green, but it's going to show everything. So we decided on the dark green. The owner comes over and I said, sir, we've decided on the dark green. Uh, we need X amount of yards of it. He said, well, I'm going to get that for you in just a second. But he said, I got a question. He said, are you two folks Christians? I thought, man, that's odd. Why in the world would he ask that? I said, well, yes, we are. I said, in fact, I'm an evangelist. Man, he jumped all over that. He said, you're an evangelist? He said, are you speaking anywhere around here close? I said, well, ironically, yes, I am. Sunday morning, I'm preaching in a church right here in Portland. He said, what church? I said, Greater Portland Baptist Church. He grinned from ear to ear. He said, I attend Greater Portland Baptist Church. I said, no kidding. I said, how long have you been attending? He said, less than a year, about eight months. I said, well, that explains this. I've never met you before. I was at Greater Portland 12 months ago, but you've joined the church since I was there last, so hence I've never met you. He said, man, I'm looking forward to hearing you preach on Sunday. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why did you ask if we were Christians? He said, because, sir, I have couples come in here all the time. He said, they've got the important stuff decided. They're going to purchase carpet, but they usually get in arguments over the color. He said, I noticed you were both making your case, but you never got angry with each other. You never really raised your voice to a, you know, a high decibel level. You, know, you, never, you just sort of calmly made your case with each other. He said, I thought these folks have got to be Christians. There's something different about them. You know what, Brother Larry, I was thinking, boy, I'm sure glad I didn't lose my testimony and lose my temper this time. Because the fact is, I have before. I mean, that'd be something. Me have an argument with my wife right there in the carpet store. You know, and the next Sunday, that guy shows up and I'm preaching, talking about loving Jesus and loving your wife. He'd think, you hypocrite. I mean, that's good that I responded right. Everybody with me? What I'm saying is this. He picked up on something. And that was a demeanor. Folk, our demeanor ought to be different. We ought to be filled with the joy of Jesus and it ought to radiate on our countenance even to prompt a lost world to say, man, what's up with you? How come you're so joyful? By the way, Brother Larry, I was driving through a McDonald's drive through in Tom's River, New Jersey a number of years ago. Tom's River, New Jersey. I, I don't know how much you know about United States geography. And... Uh, Anyway, I'll say it this way. New Jersey is the armpit of America. Okay, I'm just going to say it. It is. Now, I love the people. But some of the residents of New Jersey, they, they just have... Am I speaking truth, Brother Russ? They have a way about them. They're just blunt. In fact, they're rude. Yes, that's the synonym. They're rude. I'm driving through a McDonald's and I'm ordering, you know, into the little microphone. I said, I'd like to have, I don't remember what it was, maybe a sausage biscuit. And just right back, the lady said this, we don't have any of those. Now, I'm sorry we don't have any of those. Not, I'm sorry we don't have any of those. Can I offer you something else? Just, we don't have any of those. And I thought, okay. So I said, well, do you have any of these? Yes, we've got some of those. I said, well, then I'll have one of those. When I get up to the window to pay for it, Brother Carl, the lady looks through the window and she said, you're not from around here, are you? I mean, just like that, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. How did you know? And here's exactly what she said. She said, you're too nice. You're too nice. 
thought, wow. Hey, look, we ought to be joyful people no matter what's going on. Amen? Our demeanor ought to scream, I love Jesus. You understand John's demeanor was different. Not only did he live a different life, I want you to watch your Bible. He lived a very dedicated life. Now, stay with me. Look at Matthew 3 and let your eyes rest, if you would, please, on verse number 3 again. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one shouting tumultuously in the wilderness. Here's the content of John's message. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. You say, what does that mean? Can I illustrate again? Do you know in John the Baptist's day, any time a king, a monarch, went to visit any of the cities in his empire, he would rise from his throne. He would go and get in a carriage or a, some type of a chariot, and he would make his way to one of the cities in his empire. Now, what we think and what I thought for years until I really began thinking about this. In fact, Brother Larry, my involvement in Washington, D.C. with a lot of our elected officials and getting into the White House and actually seeing the presidential limousine. In fact, I've stood as close as from me to you, Ms. Rifka, to the presidential limousine. Do you know the windows on that thing are about that thick? Do you know you look through it, it doesn't distort the people on the inside? I mean, it's an amazing way they do that glass. That is bulletproof glass. That car is so heavy that it takes special training to drive it. It is as heavy as some tanks because it is bulletproof and it is bombproof. They call it the beast. That's what they call the car, the president's limousine. Do you know our president, in order to be protected, never goes anywhere on a whim? Do you know before our president goes anywhere to make a visit, they send the secret service and a security detail ahead of him to map out the course he's going to take. I mean, the president just doesn't get in his car and decide, I'm going to go over to McDonald's tonight, you know, and I'm going to get myself a milkshake tonight before I go. He doesn't do that because his life can be in jeopardy if the entire course is not plotted out ahead of time. So what they do, Brother Larry, is months ahead of a presidential visit, they will send an entourage ahead of him. They will literally walk down or drive down the road. He's going to come down. They will notice all the high places where somebody could shoot as a sniper at the president. They will notice all the garbage cans and all the obstacles where somebody could duck down behind or maybe they could position some kind of a explosive device. They go through all of that and they map out his entire course ahead of time, months ahead. You know the same thing took place in John's day? Before a king got up from his throne and went to visit any part of his kingdom, they would send an entourage of road workers, security personnel. They would go ahead of the monarch in John's day and they would literally scope out the entire path that their king was ultimately going to come down. Do you know if there were any dips in the road, what we call potholes, any places like that that the king's carriage would have to pass over? They would fill that in, smooth it out, make the road as smooth as possible. If there were any unnecessarily raised places that they could level down to make the road as smooth as possible, they would do that. If there were any unnecessary twists and turns in the road, they would literally, the road workers would clear that out so that the the road that the king's going to come down is as straight and as smooth as possible. So when John is described as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, watch this, prepare ye the way of the Lord. 
There is an analogy being made to how they would prepare the road for the kings of those days. You know what John is saying? Not just any king is about to come. It is the king. We need to prepare the way before him. What does that mean? What John is saying is this. It's time to get your life in order. It's time to get the high places of sin out of your life. It's time to get the low places of degradation out of your life. It's time to get the crooked places of iniquity out of your life. Why? Because the king is about to show up. Make his paths straight. In other words, that's a dedicated way of living. Listen, folks, and I mean this, I love you, but I'm telling you, it's not about us. It's all about Him. It's not about my agenda. It's all about Him. It's not about my desires and my wants. It's all about Him. I need to get stuff out of my life so when He shows up, the path is prepared by my life for the second coming of the King. We have a culture that needs to see straight, godly living. Amen? Dedicated. John lived a different dedicated life. Number three, he lived a different kind of life, or a third kind of life, rather. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, now I want you to watch this. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to, the word to literally means for, his baptism. In other words, he's out in the wilderness preaching the gospel. People are being saved. He's baptizing them. Well, look who shows up, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious crowd. Look what he says to them. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, well, welcome, fellows. I'm so glad you're... Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. He didn't say, well, welcome, guys, glad you're here. Look what he says. Oh, generation of vipers. Plain English, you society of snakes. Brother Larry, he had never taken a Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people, had he? Yeah. Or he wouldn't have said, you society of snakes. Look at the rest of it. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you know what the simple fact was? Nobody dared say to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you need to get your life right because the king's about to come. Because, see, they were the religious elite. What I'm trying to help you understand is that John not only lived a different life and a direct life, a, a different life and a dedicated life, he is living a direct life. If you watch John the Baptist's speech, there is never an attempt, and I love this statement, Brother Carl, there is never an attempt on the part of John to paramble around the proverbial multifaceted shrub, which is a fancy way of saying beat around the bush. He never beats around the bush. Have you ever noticed that, Brother Russ? He gets right to the heart of the issue, doesn't he? Now, he's not unkind, but he is very direct. You say, Preacher, what are you getting at? I can only speak by personal experience for my nation. Do you know we are a politically correct culture in America? Do you know you cannot, I'm not kidding, brother, if you cannot in Washington, D.C., describe somebody who has no hair on their head, you cannot describe them as bald. How many of you knew growing up that if, if hair is no longer on top of you, that's bald? How many of you knew that? Do you know what the term is in Washington, D.C.? No, it's not bald. They are follically dysfunctional. 
I am not kidding. Follically dysfunctional. Brother Larry, you cannot use this term in Washington, D.C. either. That guy is a crook. No. The term is an ethically challenged individual. We have relabeled everything. Do you know John doesn't relabel anything? He says, you guys are a society of snakes. And who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Fact is, nobody dared go there. John says, I'm about to. I'm about to. What I'm trying to help you understand, he is very direct in the way he lived his life. I was asked today on radio, Brother Larry, it was very interesting. The co-host of the program I do, Sam Rohrer, said, Dave, I saw your email about what God had done at the conference with the young people. And he said, I'm just curious. He said, what was it? What was it that you spoke on that... You know, for whatever reason, they were interested in listening to. And I said, well, you know, we talked about this and this and this. But we tried to do it in love, but we tried to do it very, very directly. You know what I believe? I believe the young people and the adults of any generation want to hear truth not watered down. Not watered down. Just in love stated, but stated directly. What in the world is happening to us? Brother Larry, a number of years back, we were in South Carolina for a meeting in a little town called St. Matthews. To get to St. Matthews, South Carolina, you go to the end of the world and you turn left. I'm not kidding. It is in the middle of nowhere. I asked the pastor at this rural church, great little church, but I said, Pastor, you know, I'm kind of an exercise guy and I'd like to, you know, do some weightlifting while I'm here this week. Is there a gym in St. Matthews? And he went... <laughs> No, there's not a gym in St. Matthews. I said, well, where is the closest one? He said, well, it's 23 miles all the way to Orangeburg, South Carolina. I said, well, if on Monday morning I wanted to go work out, how would I get to that gym in Orangeburg? He said, well, you'd drive to the end of the church parking lot. You'd make a left-hand turn. You'd drive 21 miles to your first stoplight. At that light, you turn left. You go a mile and a half. You're going to come to another stoplight. You turn right, go another half mile, and you're at the gym. Well, on Monday morning, I took those directions. I mean, 21 miles this direction, left-hand turn, mile and a half. Another took a, took a, a turn there uh, uh, and went down a half mile. And I'm at this gym. I walk in, Brother Larry, and there's this guy behind the counter. I mean... You've seen the type. I mean, you know, they've they, they got muscles on top of muscles. I mean, they're incredibly fit, you know, and he's standing there. And I said, hi, my name is Dave Kistler. And I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I just said, I'm in town for about a week, and I'd like to come in today, and I'd like to come in Wednesday, and I'd like to work out. Do you have a daily workout rate or a weekly workout rate? He said, yes, we have a weekly workout rate. I said, how much is it? He said, $10 for the entire week. I said, man, that's great. I said, can I pay you the $10 right now? Can I work out today and then come back on Wednesday? He said, absolutely. So I gave him the $10. I said, now, where is the where's all the weight equipment he said well if you'll just go down the little decline make a right hand turn there's all the weight equipment and then he asked this question he said uh do you do you need some help well that makes you feel wonderful doesn't it do you need some help I said, sir, I'm sure I look like I need help, but no, I have done this before. <laughs> I know I don't look like it, but I have done this before, but thank you so much for your kind offer. So anyway, I walked down the decline, made a right-hand turn. There's the bench press machine. So I crawl under the bench press machine. I'm doing my bench press like this. While I'm doing my first set, an older gentleman who had a shirt on that had the logo of the gym on it, which means he's a gym employee, came and sat down on the bench beside me while I'm doing my bench press, and he just watched me. When I dropped the weights on the rack and slid to the end of the bench, he extended his hand and said, my name is Chuck. And he said, I work here at the gym. Never seen you here before. He said, are you from out of town? And I said, well, yes, I am. Now, I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I just said, yes, I'm from out of town. I'm visiting for the week and 
try to come in and work out. He said, well, do you travel for a living? I said, I do. I travel a lot. Still didn't tell him I was a preacher. He said, well, let me ask you something. You travel a lot. Have you ever been on a cruise? You know, a vacation on a cruise ship. I said, no, and I had not at that time. I have been since, but at that time I had. I said, no, but I said, I've heard the midnight buffet on the cruise is awesome. He said, well, you know, I've heard the same thing. And he said, I've never been on a cruise either. But next week, I'm going for the first time. I said, well, that's awesome. I hope you, under, you, you enjoy and, uh, the midnight buffet and all the other things. hope it's great. He said, he said yeah, I'm sure it's going to be. And then he said this. He said, you know, I'm looking forward to the midnight buffet, but you know what I'm really looking forward to? I said, no, sir. What are you really looking forward to? He said, I'm really looking forward to the women on the cruise. I noticed he had a wedding band on the fourth finger of his left hand. I'm really looking forward to the women. And then he said this, Brother Steve. He said, by the way, what is it that you do that allows you to travel all over the world and all over the United States? You can't set this up any better. I extended my hand and I said, Hi, my name's Dave Kistler. I'm an evangelist and I travel all over America telling people how they can know Jesus. By the way, I'm preaching down here at Faith Baptist Church in St. Matthew's. Love to have you come. You should have heard him. Brother Russ, he did verbal gymnastics to get out of what he just said. He went well up, 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 up. And he was turning all shades of red, up, up, up. And then here's what he said, Brother Steve. No kidding, he said this. He said, well, 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 Dave, I, I, I'm a deacon down at First Baptist Church. That's exactly what he said. I'm a deacon at First Baptist Church, Orangeburg, South Carolina. Can I ask you something? Where was he going to go with that conversation? When he said, I'm really looking forward to the women on the cruise? Where was he headed? What would he have said next? That's my friend from Orangeburg coming in, probably. <laughs> Knows I'm talking about him. Where was he going to go had he not asked me, what is it you do? that allows you to travel all over the United States and parts of the world. And I told him I was an evangelist. Where was he headed? What I'm trying to say, Brother Russ, is this. And we need to be direct enough to say it. Not everybody that is religious, even religious enough to be a deacon, is really saved. Would you agree with me? See, in my country, I'm sure it's no different here because human nature is human nature. We have people that are eaten up with religion, but they don't know Jesus at all. They don't. And I believe, because I did some checking, he was a deacon at First Baptist Church, St. Matthew's, excuse me, Orangeburg. He was a deacon. I don't think he was any more saved than that chair is. Something's wrong here. See, John the Baptist is looking at the religious crowd of his day, and he's saying this, Who hath warned you? Nobody dared go there. John's about to march right into the middle of it. Who has dared warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Look what else he says next. Look how direct he is. This is amazing. Watch if you would please verse number 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, I want to see some evidence that you've been saved before I ever baptize you. Watch verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Do you know even when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, you know what they always said, Brother Russ? They always snapped back with this statement. 
we be Abraham's descendants. Do you remember that? That was always their defense. I don't think you understand, Jesus, our religious background. You know what that's like? Knocking on a door in America, door opens in North Carolina. Hi, my name is Dave Kistler. I'm out visiting from Mount Home Baptist Church. And we'd like to invite you to come to our church. But to be honest with you, sir, we're really here about something way more important than church attendance. I'd like to ask you a question if I could. Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You know what I've heard many times, Brother Russ? Sure do. Well, how do you know you're going to heaven? I'm a Baptist. Folks, do you understand there's going to be Baptists in hell? I know I'm going to heaven, preacher, because I'm a Methodist. Or Hickory's a Lutheran stronghold. I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a, I've been a member of the Lutheran church for 40 years. My parents were members of the church. They're buried in the cemetery in the back. I know I'm going to heaven. Look, there is not a denominational way to heaven. There's only a Bible way to heaven. Think not to say within yourselves, John tells them, we have Abraham our father. We're descendants of Father Abraham. John said, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Do you understand God has no grandchildren? He only has children. Nobody gets into heaven based on his mom and dad's salvation. We got to be saved ourselves. Watch your Bible. Think not to say within yourselves, verse 9, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. If he wants descendants of Abraham, he can turn the rocks into them. Now watch verse 10. This is very direct. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Boy, that's an interesting phrase. I don't know if it's used here in the wonderful country of England, but it's used in my country. They'll use this phrase, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the bottom line is another phrase. You know what that means? Here's, here's what it all boils down to. Here's the lowest common denominator. And when John says the axe is laid to the root of the trees, that's the Jewish equivalent of this is where the rubber meets the road. Well, look where the rubber met the road in John's day. Look what he's getting at, verse 10. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Here's the bottom line, John says. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. Oh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Watch the next verse. Whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. And gather his squeed into the garner. The word garner means barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And the point John is making is you Pharisees and Sadducees are chaff. You're not real. Wow, is that direct. Wow. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for a preacher who is courageous enough to just tell the truth? I don't know if you're following this, but in my country, they've been discussing this ISIS entity, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, called by our president, ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Why do they call it the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant? Because the Levant incorporated a lot of the land area over there in the Middle East. It incorporated Jordan. It incorporated parts of Egypt. Israel was even part of it. You know what? They're calling it the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Some people, my friends up on Capitol Hill, are telling me the president does that because he's acknowledging that all that land ought to belong to the Arab people. No, friends. That doesn't belong to the Arab people. The land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. God gave it to them. Everybody with me? Yes. Our president... 
will not call that group what it actually is. And there's a big controversy in America that he won't call it Islamic terrorism. You know what he calls it? Extremist terrorism. Or terroristic extremist. No, they are Islamic terrorists. Is everybody with me? My brother says it this way. What if everybody that had attempted to attack us in America on 9-11 were not Muslim terrorists, but on 9-11 they were all left-handed German women? Every terrorist, Brother Steve, was a left-handed German woman. Every act of terror perpetrated against us, I mean the London subway bombing, even in this country, was perpetrated by a left-handed German woman. If that were the case, would we be idiots to be stopping at airports and profiling right-handed Russian men? Would we not? If every terrorist was a left-handed German woman? Would, everybody with me? So far, these acts of terror have been perpetrated by those who adhere to the Islamic faith. Does that mean we hate Muslims? Of course not. No. They have been taken captive by the wicked one. They have been deceived by the wicked one. Do I hate any sinner because they've been taken captive by the wicked one? No. But the ideology is purely evil and out of the pit of hell. Do I have a serious hatred for the ideology? Yes. Just like I hate homosexuality, but I don't hate the homosexual. Everybody with me? To defeat anything, to help anyone, you've got to call something what it is. My brother says it this way, we will never defeat what we won't define. We will never defeat what we won't define. That's true. It's Islamic terrorism. Thank God, Dr. Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham last week said this, it is Islamic terrorism. Our president will not call it what it is. He said because that is his background. And by the way, it is. He grew up in a Muslim home, a Sunni Muslim home. His grandfather was Sunni Muslim. His father was Sunni Muslim. I mean, his name is a Muslim name. Can we not connect the dots? It's Islamic terrorism. Thank God Dr. Graham is willing to tell it like it is. Everybody with me? Does he hate Muslims? No. But he understands evil is evil. And you don't defeat evil by not calling it what it is. John is calling this situation as it is. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every Every one that doesn't bring forth fruit, every tree that doesn't do that is going to be hewn down, cast into the fire. And then John says this, Jesus is coming and his fan's going to be in his hand and he's going to thoroughly purge the floor. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn, but he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Wow, that is such direct language. His fan is in his hand, Brother Russ. I used to, I used to picture fan... Boy, I mean, I'm tied to my upbringing. I know that. I apologize. But in our country, we used to have fans before we had air conditioning. You remember the old funeral home fans? It looked like a tongue depressor with a, you know, staple to it. And you'd sit there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you'd sit there and fan yourself like this on a hot summer day whenever you're having church. I used to read this, whose fan is in his hand, and I'd picture Jesus come and fan it. What does that mean? That is not what this is talking about. The fan is not this kind of fan. 
The fan is this kind of fan. It's a winnowing fan, like a snow shovel. See, what they would do in Jesus' day is they'd go out into the field, they'd cut grains, uh, you know, stalks of wheat down, they'd bring it to a common place, and either with heavy rocks or with their sandaled feet, they would step on the, the wheat and they would crush the outer husk called chaff so that it could break it open, and on the inside is the kernel of wheat itself. So they would crush all of it. So now you've got lying here in this massive pile, you've got both little grains of wheat and you've got all the chaff. And what they would do is take a big winnowing fan, kind of like a snow shovel, they would scoop up both wheat and chaff together, toss it in the air. The chaff, which is very weightless, would be caught by the wind and be blown over here, fall in a pile over here. The grains of wheat would fall back here. They would pick up a little more, more chaff over here, more wheat here. They would continue sifting until they've got all chaff here and all wheat here, and they'd sweep the wheat up, bag it up, carry it to the barn. And they would sweep up the chaff and burn it. You know what John's saying? Pharisees, Sadducees, religious people, here you are. God's going to sweep you up and you're going to be burned in a literal hell. Wow. That's direct. But it was the truth. Last day's living must be different, dedicated, direct living. Please pray for me. March 11, I mentioned it to the young people. I'm going into the North Carolina General, General Assembly to speak. Do you know, Brother Russ, there's pressure? I mean, you'll kind of soften your message a little bit because these are politicians. You know who needs to hear the truth undiluted more than anybody else is the politicians. Now, I'm not going to be unkind to them. I love these guys. One of our North Carolina state senators is one of my dearest friends. He's the one that's invited me. He said, Preacher, you tell them the truth. Would you pray that God will help me do that? Hey, I'm made out of the same stuff you are. Brother Carl, I don't want people to dislike me. I don't walk around with a big S, you know, super Christian under my shirt, you know. No. I'm made out of the same stuff everybody else is. But they need to hear the truth, don't they? Directly, they need to hear the truth. John's living a different, dedicated, direct life. There's one last, last way John lived. By the way, this may be most important, and I'm done. He lived a diminished life. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Do you remember Jesus came on the scene? The one that John had prepared the way for and John had been incarcerated. Do you remember that? John had been put in prison. In fact, what put him in prison was he was so direct with a politician that they jailed him. See, he had said to Herod the king, it is not lawful, sir, for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Do you remember that? Let me put it in modern context. President Clinton... What you have been doing in the Oval Office with Monica Lewinsky is not right! It is not right! That's exactly what John was saying. It is not lawful for you to take your brother Phillips. Boy, the king didn't like that, did he? Boy, he got up in arms, he took John, he put him in prison. And then you remember old Herod had a party one night. Party to beat all parties. Everybody that is anybody is in the room. They're all drinking. 
And by the way, in those days, they didn't sit in chairs like we're going to do on Wednesday night at a, at a table. They reclined on kind of couches and they'd prop their head up with their hand here and their elbow resting there and they would reach over to the table and pull the food items off and eat them. So they're reclined and moving in and out among the sofas where the men are reclined is this young seductress named Salome. Do you remember? And she's dancing her seductive dance. And in his drunken stupor, King Herod says, whoa, wow, like her dancing, like it so much, I'd give her anything she wants even to half my kingdom. And she hears that. Remember what she does, Brother Steve? She runs over here to her mom and she says, Mama, the king said he liked my dancing so much, I could have anything I wanted up to half the kingdom. Should I ask for half the kingdom? She says, no, sweetheart, don't ask for half the kingdom. Well, Mama, what do I ask for? She says, you ask for the head of that troublemaking preacher on a silver tray up here in the banquet room tonight. How many of you remember the story? You remember what old Herod does? She waltzes back over to him and she said, King, I heard what you said. Like my dancing. Oh yeah, babe, loved it. Understand you said I could have anything I wanted up to half the kingdom. Hope you don't want that. No, don't want half the kingdom. Well, what do you want? King, I'd like to have the head of John the Baptist on a silver tray up here in the banquet room right now. You remember what the Bible says about Herod when he heard that? He goes, oh no. Oh no, what have I done? Well, he sobers up quick, doesn't he? Because the Bible says, Brother Russ, the people counted John as a prophet. Man, if I kill the guy that they honor as a prophet, what will it do to my poll numbers? Anybody tired of government officials ruling by polls instead of ruling by principle? What will it do to my poll numbers? But see, he's made a commitment. I'll give you whatever you want. So reluctantly, he does this. Do it. They go downstairs, probably right below where the banquet's being held. They took John the Baptist and they would have probably tied his hands behind him, forced him to get on his knees, lean forward like this, and with one pass of a razor-sharp saber, John's head would be severed from his body. He would be placed on a silver tray, carried back upstairs to the banquet room, delivered to the young lady, who takes it, think about it, they're eating a meal. Brother, you want to see hardened people? Here comes a grisly head still oozing blood. It comes into a banquet chamber where they're eating a meal. There's no record in the Bible that anybody got sick. She takes it. A girl takes that head. Carries it over to her mom and says, Mama, here it is! And the voice has been silent. Or has he? I want you to stay with me. Before John was executed, his disciples come to him in prison and they say this, John, the one you prepared the way for Jesus is now out in the wilderness where you were preaching and healing, doing miracles. Brother Russ, there's a I'm not trying to read too much into it, but there's also almost rather a, an attempt on their part to elicit a certain response from John. You know, you're in prison. Your ministry's over. The one you prepared the way for is out there. It's almost like they're asking, does that bother you? Because John says this, doesn't bother me at all. He must increase and I must decrease. In other words, John is saying, 
It's not about me. It never has been about me. It's about Him. In that statement, He's choosing to live the kind of life we need to live. Not just a different, dedicated, direct life, but He's choosing to live a diminished life. A diminished life. See, I'm convinced, Brother Russ, if we could just get us out of the way, we may have it. But see, we get in the way, don't we? We want, I want, people have got to look at me. By the way, I spent a good portion of my time talking to pastors in my country who are dealing with church members who are oriented towards self. Me, my. John was never that one. It's not about me. A diminished life. Now, stay with me and I'm done. John's beheaded. His voice has been silenced, right? I don't know. I don't know if I'd agree with that. Because remember, the word comes to Herod, the one who killed John. Hey, king, there's a new guy out there in the wilderness where John the Baptist, the guy you executed, where he used to be ministering, there's a new guy now out there. They say his name's Jesus. You remember what O'Hara does? What? What? Run that by me again. Chill, king. Calm down. The new guy's name is Jesus. You remember what O'Hara here it does. No, 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 no. It's not a new guy. I'll tell you what it is. It's that guy John whose head I cut off. He's come back to life. Therefore, these mighty works are manifesting themselves through him. Do you remember? You ever thought about this? It wasn't John come back to life. He was dead. But even dead, he's still confronting O'Hara's conscience, isn't he? Which means this, he was worth more dead than a lot of Christians are alive. John the Baptist. Phenomenal. Man. By the way, it was of this man, John, that Jesus made this phenomenal statement. Of those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Why did Jesus say that? Because he lived a different, dedicated, direct, diminished. He lived that way to get people ready for the first coming of Jesus. I am convinced we need to live the same way to get people ready for the second coming of Jesus. And folk, it's so... It's so... Father, would you help us tonight? Help us, oh God, to grasp, to understand, to comprehend the life John the Baptist lived, which was in direct opposition to the culture of the day. Lord, I'm convinced John was never unkind. He was never belligerent. He was never caustic. But he sure was different. And he wasn't afraid to be different. Lord, you've called us to be different, a peculiar people, not weird, but different from the world in which we live. And Lord, I pray that first and foremost, our demeanor would be different. Lord, you've done something for us. You've saved us. You've given us your grace. Lord, you've bestowed upon us every good gift. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You have loaded us down with so many blessings. Oh God, forgive us. 
for not living for you aggressively and being fearful or ashamed to be different. Lord, help us to embrace the difference that we're called to be. And Lord, may we march out into a world that's so devoid of your truth. And Lord, may we shine as bright lights because people see a difference in the way we live. Lord, I long like never before in this incredible day in which I'm privileged to live, Lord, whether it's in my country, this country, whether it's in Kenya, whether it's in Ukraine. Lord, I want to be different. Lord, I pray the difference would attract people like it did with John so that they can hear the message of who you are. Father, we'll thank you for what you do. Lord, I would pray that these, my friends, would long as I long May we both together long to live John the Baptist-like lives in this modern day and time. Now friends, our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I want to just ask you a couple of very quick questions. Do you really know you're saved? See, John confronted some religious people the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But all they were was religious. That's where it stopped. They did not have a relationship with the living God. That's possible even in this room for someone just to be religious. So would you be kind enough to answer my question honestly? If you know that Jesus is your Savior, you know you're on your way to heaven. You know there's been a time when you invited Jesus into your heart and life. You asked Him to forgive your sin. By the way, sin's the issue that has to be dealt with. Boy, it's not politically correct to talk about that in my country. I'm sure it's not politically correct to talk about it in this country. But sin's what Jesus died for, to forgive it. Sin won't get into God's heaven. So sin has to be forgiven. Only Jesus can do that. Has your sin been forgiven? And you can say, yes, Dave, I know I'm saved. God's transformed my life. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't have a doubt about it. If you know all that's true, would you just lift your hand, hold it as high as you can. I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't have a doubt about it. Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hand down. May I ask this second question? Is there anyone in the room? In all honesty, you don't know that you're going to heaven yet. Can I tell you, God loves you. He loves you enough He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die for you. Jesus was buried, but He rose again the third day. He did all of that to forgive our sin. He was the sinless one. He took our sin upon Himself that we might be forgiven. Is there anyone in the room tonight that would be willing to say, Dave, you know what? I don't know that I'm going to heaven yet. I couldn't raise my hand to the first question. I don't know that my sin's forgiven, but you know what? I am concerned about that. And friends, you need to be. You need to be deeply concerned. I wonder if you're concerned enough that you would allow me to pray for you. I don't mean call your name out in my prayer. I've never one time done that. not going to do that tonight. But I would like to pray for you anonymously that before it's too late, you'll get this thing of your eternal destiny settled. Is there anyone in the room that would say, Dave, you're talking to me? 
don't yet know I'm going to heaven, but yes, I sure would like you to pray for me. If that's you, I wonder if you'd lift your hand right now while I'm the only one looking. Is there anyone like that? Not sure I'm going to heaven, preacher. I sure would like you to pray for me. All right, one final question. Christian friends, I want to ask us something. Different, dedicated, direct, diminished life. Answer this in your own heart. Is that the kind of life you're currently living? To get this generation, the ones within your sphere of influence, are you living like John lived to get those in your sphere of influence ready for the second coming of Jesus? They've got to see something different. They've got to hear that Jesus loves them. John lived a different, dedicated, direct, diminished life. Is that really how we're living in this day and time? Answer that in your own heart. One final plea. Again, I don't ever take this lightly. I don't believe you will either. I simply want to ask those that know Christ, do you want to live a John the Baptist type life? Boy, I do. These are phenomenal days of opportunity. I want to be a modern day John the Baptist, at least in how I live my life. Different, dedicated, direct, diminished. If God has spoken to your heart, Christian friend, and you want to live the same way, a John the Baptist type life, in these incredible last days, you want to live a John the Baptist type life. I wonder if you'd be willing simply to do this. And again, I'm not doing this lightly or casually. If you want to live a John the Baptist type life in these incredible days of opportunity, I wonder if you'd be willing to simply do this. Let God know that tonight. Lord, like never before, I want to live a John the Baptist type life, and you can let him know that. In fact, I would implore you, I would encourage you, would you be willing to step from where you're seated, join me here around this altar, like young people did all day on Sunday and all day on Saturday, and say, I want to live that kind of life, a John the Baptist type life, in these last days. If that's how you want to live, God, God bless you, sir. Would you be willing to just join me here and tell God that? God bless you, sir. I want to live a John the Baptist type life. God bless you, ladies, men. I want to live a John the Baptist type life. Different, dedicated, direct, diminished life. Lord, I want it to be all about you, never about me. By the way, folks, I don't know how much time we've got till Jesus comes back. I believe it's soon. I really do. In fact, I'm surprised we're still here. But before Jesus comes back, you, I, any of us, I could die. I do not know how much time I've got to serve the King, so I want to make the most of what I've got. Preacher, are you sick? I don't know of anything wrong. feel really good. But a lot of people who feel good one day are no longer with us the next. So I don't know, and neither do you. I want to give everything I've got to my Lord. John the Baptist type life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for recording for us in the pages of the book of Matthew the phenomenal story of John the Baptist. 
Lord, I thank you that you've recorded it so we could walk through his life with him. Observe, Lord, how he lived to get his generation ready for your first coming. And Lord, it applies to us as we attempt to get people around us ready for your second coming. Father, stir us, change us. And oh God, may we live in light of what we've heard. May we practice tonight what has been preached. And Father, may you use us in incredible ways for your glory. And Lord, again, I ask for this May 11 opportunity with the North Carolina General Assembly. Father, would you enable me to say exactly what you once said, and I pray you'd prepare the way before me. Father, please, may our elected officials and our state government hear. Father, may those that are there that love you, and there are some, may they be challenged to be more aggressive in their stance for righteousness. And Father, some that don't know you, would you challenge them with their need of you? And Lord, it would just be a banner day if we had the privilege of leading some state senators, some state congressmen to you as Savior. So Father, bless, I pray. Bless these, my dear friends, Lord, as they live out their faith in this city of Birmingham. Father, strengthen them, empower them, encourage them. Lord, help us all to understand we may be one person, but one person infused with your power is like a mighty army. So, Father, equip us to that end, I pray. Now, bless us, Pastor Larry, comes to close the service. Guide him. Your spirit is my prayer in Jesus' name.